0: Second Peter, we made a note last Wednesday how 1 Peter dealt a lot with the outward trials. It dealt with this outward testing by fire that the church and Christians were about to experience. And within that outward Trial that was coming upon them, Peter spoke to them again and again saying, you know, I want to give you this word. I want to give you this hope. I want you to trust in in, in the, the Lord because there are going to be these testings by fire. But understand that this life isn't the end. Still do what you need to do in a way that glorifies God. Continue to walk by faith. And now, in his second epistle, he's not dealing with this outward trial, this outward persecution that's coming. He's going to deal with these inward trials, um, inward testings. So we call it heresy. So first Peter is dealt with persecutions outwardly, the, the trials that would come upon them physically. And so in second Peter, he deals with the, the, the trials and tribulations that will come upon them spiritually, inwardly what to do with false teachings, what to do with false communication. Um, How do you know what's true? How do you know what's not? And Peter makes a statement here in verse 19 of 2 Peter chapter 1, which opens up and says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed. He says, so we have this prophetic word, it's confirmed. Now, what does he mean by we have this prophetic word confirmed? If you back up to verse 15, it'll bring a little bit of clarity to what Peter is beginning to say. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. He's going to constantly say, like in verse 13, I think it's right as long as I'm with you to stir you up by reminding you. I'm going to constantly remind you and remind you and remind you. In verse 12, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. He's constantly telling them telling them again and again about what we have in Jesus Christ. And as he goes through here in verse 16... He says, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Now, notice what he said. He said, we didn't follow these cunningly devised fables. All these things that came down weren't just stories. They were literally proven events events that took place in the scripture. And so if you notice when I share of something that happened in the Old Testament, I don't say, well, let's take a look at the story of, you know, Jonah and the great fish. It's like, let's take a look at the event. Let's take a look at the situation that happened. Notice I always make that distinction. A story is Goldilocks and the three bears. That's a story. Now, you can say that Jonah and the great fish is a story. You can say that Noah is a story, but, but you would be in error because a lot of people are going to take that and say, well, it's just made up. No, it's not made up. It is an event that took place. It's a situation that is verified in Scripture. So understand that what I will do is I won't say that, that it's a story. You won't hear me say that other than like right now to say I don't say that. I say, here's the event, the situation that happened. And so as you're talking, as you're witnessing with other people, don't say, well, you remember the story of Jonah? Don't don't say that. Say, remember the event. Let me tell you about the event that took place. Not a story, an event, a situation. So Peter says we didn't follow these cunningly devised fables. In other words, that there was these Stones upon stones upon stones, this building that was erected in a sense as far as just God declaring his son, God declaring Jesus Christ. And if one of these stones were false, if you could knock out a stone from the wall, the entirety of the wall would collapse. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to the reality of the prophetic word speaking of Jesus Christ, these stones have been pulled out and inspected with great detail. And yet every one of them was found to be true. And so they placed it back. Now, there's some people who make lies. Well, oh, this couldn't be true. It can't be true. Well, it's found out that it's true. So I think it's important that he says, we did not, verse 16, follow these cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Understand what he's saying. He's saying all these things that were there I'm telling you that I was an eyewitness of his glory, but I'm saying there was something more that we didn't follow these words that were spoken in the past and thinking that they were just really smart men trying to develop a new religion. It's not that. Keep in mind that every religion is going to tell you what, you need to do this to get close to God. And what Jesus taught us is there's nothing you can do. There goes religion. There's nothing you can do. You're, you're doomed, but there's everything that God did. You can have a relationship if you come according to his ways. So we understand that what we see here is this, we, didn't, we didn't follow these cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of the things that were spoken of him, we didn't say that, let's, let's add this, this sounds really cool, or this sounds really cool. We, we stuck with what was declared in the Old Testament, the things that were true, prophetic words. And he says, on top of that, we were eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. In other words, from out of the heavens, the heavens spoke, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, Peter doesn't say I was interrupted when that happened. But there in the Mount of Transfiguration, when they saw the glory of God, as Peter was saying, wow, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles, one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah, that all of a sudden, then the cloud came, overshadowed them, the voice from heaven spoke, saying, this is my beloved son. Hear him. You're you're done, Peter. We don't need to listen to you. Hear him. Hear Jesus. This is the key. And it said verse 18, when we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we, we saw that he received glory and honor when this voice spoke saying, "This is my beloved son." Peter, I was an eyewitness of this. I, I heard, I saw. But then he would go on and say, "And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. There's another way to translate this, and it's saying this, that we have the more sure word of prophecy. I like that translation, but he says we have the prophetic word confirmed. In other words, what I saw was great. But the, the word, that was only one confirmation of what this word showed. So Peter says, my, my eyes saw, my ears heard, but there's something that's even more powerful than what my eyes saw and what your, my ears heard. And that's the prophetic word. And it's intriguing that he says, we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed. Now understand what he's saying here about this prophetic word. And again, I want to bring you back to verse 16. We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand what he's saying about this prophetic word? He's saying that what this prophetic word is, is that the word itself prophetically is focused on Jesus Christ. That's, That's the key. And so understand what prophecy is. What what prophecy is, is throughout history, God has selected certain individuals. And what he does is he imparts upon those individuals, either through vision or through a word or through a dream, that he will impart to those individuals that he would begin to reveal his own divine detail to this prophet who would relate it to the people that were there. And not only would this this word that would be spoken come to those people, but they would record these details that it would be known for all people. And within these details, keep in mind that God would give warnings of behavior. You're doing this, so this is going to come. You know how it happened. When he talked to the northern tribes, he says, you're doing this, I've talked to you, behave yourself, don't go there, because if you do, these Syrians are going to come. I'm going to take you away. I'm going to take you out of the land. The same thing with the Judah and Jerusalem. If you continue in this behavior, remember what I did to your older sister? I warned her, and she didn't listen. Then I warned her again, and she didn't listen. And then finally, I warned her the third time she didn't listen, and I took her away. And now I've warned you, Judah and Jerusalem. And you haven't listened. And I've warned you a second time. And you haven't listened. And now I'm warning you the third time. Guess what's going to happen to you? I'm going to take you away. and I'm going to use Babylon to do it. But amazingly, that within this prophecy of what would be coming, there are sometimes this prophetic word would be declared in a near sense. In other words, something's going to happen real soon. But then it'll also... Foreshadow something that's going to happen way down the road as well. So they call it the near sense or the future sense of prophecy. And there are many times that the prophecy is going to be a near sense. He says it and within a few years it's done. There are some times when he says it and it's going to take hundreds of years before it comes to pass. And it will come to pass. There are times he's going to say a prophetic word and there's going to be a fulfillment of in a spiritual sense. There are other times he's gonna say a prophetic word and it's gonna be fulfilled in a literal sense. And sometimes it's gonna be per- performed both in a literal and a spiritual sense. So you have this multi-dimensional aspect of prophecy, which is why, if you've heard me in the past, I will say it again, prophecy is a beast. It is a beast, and many people are confused because of its interpretations. And what they try to do is they try to bring about something that they can grasp, something that they may be thinking is happening here in today's events. There are a lot of times that you may hear that there is a prophecy conference. There's a prophecy conference here and a prophecy conference here, and all these people are are swarming to figure out what is going on. I disagree with the term. I think most of the prophecy conferences that go on today are more like strategic events. In other words, here are things that are the rumblings of prophecy. Here are things that prophecy might be included into it. So I would say they would should be better called strategic events, not prophecy. Because what prophecy is, is not saying this is, is, is prophecy, this is going to happen. Remember, if you are, are old enough, that we had a huge scare in our nation. It was called Y2K. Every computer was going to shut down. Every missile was going to launch. All these computers needed to be reset, and they couldn't be reset because nobody thought ahead of time when they were making computers back in the 60s and 50s that all of a sudden in the year 2000, it wouldn't turn over. How do you do this? And the world was going to end. I don't know if you remember that. People stayed up all night, was wondering, is my TV going to still work at 1201? And sure enough, here we are today. The world didn't end. But I'll tell you what, there were books and books and books written on Y2K and how this was a prophetic event and how this was going to transpire. And I think what happens is, keep in mind that people are trying to look and say, here's an event, is this prophecy? No. You'll know it's prophecy when the word of God is absolutely 100% fulfilled. Then it's prophecy. Or when God says in his word, this was a prophetic event. I want to share with you a little bit of how prophecy works. So that you can grasp in the future a little bit so that you're not taken in by charlatans let me look at just one prophecy for you it's found in malachi chapter four at the very end of the chapter so just go to matthew back up and you'll see that there there you are in malachi and so once you're there in malachi what begins to happen is this in the very fourth chapter and i want to read from you verses five and six so that you can kind of see it's in context so malachi chapter four verse five it says this behold Malachi is speaking for the Lord. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So now we have the very last two Verses in the Old Testament speaking forth the prophecy. That's pretty amazing. That Malachi would say, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. But then he adds, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So we understand that he's going to come before the great tribulation. Before it's unleashed. And then uniquely what happens is this when you go 400 years later, Jesus comes on the scene and they're in the book of Matthew. And I want to read to you a portion found in Matthew chapter 11. To keep it in the context, I'm going to read from verses 11 through 15. The the, the key, of course, is going to be um, where it it, it talks about here, verse 14, but let me start reading in verse 11. Assuredly, I say to you, Jesus speaking in Matthew eleven eleven, Among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. So of all the prophets, no one greater than John the Baptist. And from the days of John the Baptist, verse 12, until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So in other words, the prophecies continued and continued until John came. And what did John say? Well, he didn't say there's one coming. He says, "Uh, he's already come. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus says this in verse 14, and this is what's key. After he says in verse 13, of all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to receive it, He is Elijah who is to come. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus is saying that John the Baptist is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Malachi chapter 4 in the spiritual sense. And he says in verse 15, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Jesus himself makes a declaration that Elijah in that is going to come, but in the spiritual sense, he's already come through John the Baptist. And so we see that here there is a prophecy, Elijah will come. Jesus said, it's been fulfilled. It's been fulfilled in the person of John the Baptist. And now we're there scratching our yarmulkes and saying, wait a second. Are you sure that it's fulfilled in John the Baptist? Because it didn't... Matthew chapter 17, come up and declare where in verse 1, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like sun, his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. And now all of a sudden we see something unique happening to the. I thought the prophecy was already fulfilled. Wasn't it fulfilled in John the Baptist? Yes, it was. It was in the near sense, and it was fulfilled in the spiritual sense. But just because it's fulfilled in the spiritual sense doesn't mean that it cannot be fulfilled in the physical sense as well. Do you understand why prophecy is a beast? But you take it in context to say, if if. John the Baptist is Elijah, how do we know? Jesus said he was. If Elijah came and revealed himself, how do we know? Well, Peter said he was. Matthew said he was. James and John said he was. And so we see here that Moses and Elijah come in the physical sense. And then after Elijah comes, the disciples in verse 10, ask the Lord this question. So in Matthew chapter 17, verse 10 and 11, now we see, and his disciples asked him, that is Jesus saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So they're asking this question. You've been glorified. Why are the scribes saying that Elijah must come first? Now, notice what Jesus says in verse 11. Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but they did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. So understand that here we see that Jesus said, You have to understand, verse 11, Elijah is coming, not has come. Not Elijah was just here. He's not saying that. He says, yeah, this is a a near fulfillment, only 400 years after it was spoken, but there's a future fulfillment where Elijah is going to come again. Do you understand? Elijah's not done with his ministry. He is going to come. Now, there are many people who make this leap, and I'm going to tell you it's a leap, because there are two witnesses that are found there in the book of Revelation, there that are professing during the tribulational period. And they don't have names. They, they just don't have names. And there are some who say, I know exactly who those two witnesses are. And I'm thinking, well, it would be really nice if God shared that information with us, because I don't believe you. You may know who they are, but, but you have to, one, get some divine clarity from the word of God, and the word of God doesn't open that up. So we do see here that what God does say is there's two witnesses. Now, some say, well, it can only be one or two people. It has to be Enoch, and it has to be Elijah, because they are the only two people who've never died, and of course, it's been appointed a man once to die, and then the judgment. And because they haven't died, they got to come. Because these two witnesses die, and then of course they're taken back up. They have to die. They have to fulfill. Well, keep in mind they take things out of context. Now, it, it may be. It may be that these two witnesses. They're Bob and Joel. We don't know who their names are, but I'll tell you what. I'll guarantee you that one of them is going to be like John the Baptist, and Elijah will come in the spirit of that witness and that I can guarantee you Elijah will come in the spirit now will he come physically he may come physically as well and I don't doubt that he could come physically as well so when you look at those two witnesses will Elijah coming be done in that future sense physically or will be done in that future sense spiritually The answer is we won't know until the time comes. And once it happens, God will say, this is it. Amen. That's what it was. But I think it's important to understand that what Jesus begins to declare is even in this passage dealing with Elijah and Elijah coming, he makes a statement. And I think the statement is found best in verse 12 of, of Matthew 17. He says, Elijah is going to come to restore all things. But I say to you, Elijah has come already and they did not know him, but they did to him whatever they wished. In other words, he suffered. Huh, kind of like Elijah, he suffered. Kind of like the two witnesses are going to suffer. And John the Baptist suffered. And then he said this. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer. Do you see how the prophecy of Elijah isn't just that he's going to come and restore all things, but that he's going to come and in this point of suffering, but to realize that through that suffering, Jesus already took the suffering that we would have eternally. He's already taken that and dealt with it. Do you understand how even the prophecy of Elijah comes back to Jesus Christ? And I love that. You you can't beat that. Two verses that you need to be locked in with when it comes to the prophetic word. There's a passage found in Revelation in chapter 19, verse 10. You can jot it down or you can turn. There either is good. But the, the key being is at the very end of the verse. I want to read the verse in its entirety. But the end is where the key is. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. It makes this statement, and I fell at his feet to worship him, and this is John falling at the angel's feet, and he said to me, this angel says to John, see that you do not do that, I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Do you understand? this angel says, I have one word, it's Jesus, that's it. And as I'm speaking to you all these things to, that are to come, I have this one testimony, he says, and it's Jesus. And then he makes this statement after he says, I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now that should... Just anchor everything that you've ever heard to prophecy. Jesus is the spirit of it. When you look to prophecy, prophecy said, listen, I'm going to tell you about your behavior, what's going on, and, and discipline's going to come. And through that, what God has declared is this. He's always declared, here's problems, but I'm going to give you hope. You're going to have consequences now in the near sense, but what I'm going to deal with is the consequences in the future sense, physically and spiritually. I'm dealing with them now and I'll deal with them in the future, but I've got them totally covered because of Jesus Christ. And so you have to understand that when it comes to prophecy and people go and they, they go into these conferences that should be strategic trends and they call them prophecy, they say everything except Jesus this is happening in Israel, and this is happening here in our country, and this is happening here, and they're trying to give us shots, and they're, you know, all these things, and they're like, Jesus is the key. And you're trying to give me all this other data, and you're missing this real spirit of what prophecy is. Prophecy is this, man has sinned, and God has made a way. That's, that's the key to prophecy. That was the very first prophecy in the Bible. It's called the proto evangelum and that's where the Lord says, listen, when he, when he talked about the enemy, he said, yeah, understand, the woman, you're going to have a seed. You're, you're going to have this, this male child. And, and what's going to happen is the, the, the enemy is going to bruise him, but he's going to crush the enemy's head. He's going to be victorious. He's going he's to be pained. He's, he's going to suffer, but he's going to be victorious. And we understand, yeah, <laughs> the enemy brought Jesus to the cross. He suffered. He suffered for us, willingly, but what did he do? It was victorious. He conquered Satan at that point. And so we understand that this is the key to the prophetic word. There's another passage in the the gospel of John. I want you to be aware of it so that you can understand that this isn't the only time that it talks about that spirit of prophecy, but in the gospel of John chapter five, I'm going to read two verses to you, verse 39 and verse 40. Jesus makes this statement, him speaking, he says, you search the scriptures. This is regular scripture, prophetic scripture, whatever it is, you search the scriptures for in them, you think that you have eternal life. You're looking for life. You're looking for this. You're looking for that. And you're, you're searching for them. So you search the scriptures for in them you think that you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you may have eternal life. Do you understand? All the scriptures are pointed, including the prophecies about run to Jesus Christ. Because there's issues that he's dealt with with every prophet said, here's the problem. God's going to deal with you. But we also know that what expands to that future sense, here's the problem, sin nature, but God's going to deal with that too. So that eternally we'll be with God. Do you understand the fulfillment of what he says? You search the scriptures thinking that you're going to get information or declarations, but every one of those is they which testify of Jesus Christ. It testify of who he is. And I think it's important to, to, to realize here That that, that Jesus Christ is going to be the revealed hope in all of our lives. It's going to be him. He's he's the true source of hope. He's the true source of life. And outside of him, we don't have anything. And and that that he's going to give us this loving, blessed assurance to know that I put my faith in, in him. And he has this plan for me now and in the future. And I can trust the plan that he says prophetically is mine in the future. That he says what? I'll be with him forever and ever and ever. That's a plan. Bring that plan on. But he also says in this near sense, I'm going to be with you now. Even in the midst of what's going on, I'm going to be with you now. Understand that that is the blessing that we have as Christians. The world doesn't. See, we're all living in a world that's cursed. Every one of us and we're experiencing that curse in all kinds of ways. And we experience tribulations both outward and inward, but understand that within that curse we're not alone. The world is alone. They're suffering all by themselves. We have the promises of God saying, I'm with you. My power's with you. My spirit's with you. I'll give you my peace. I'll give you my comfort. I'll give you hope. We have that. The world does not. Do you understand why they're miserable? They don't have what we have. And a lot of times we as Christians, we don't come to our hope. We don't come to the promises. We don't come to these truths and say, I'm going to anchor myself in that you're good and you have a plan and that no matter what happens, eventually eternity comes. And I'm grateful for what you have. So when we see here this prophetic word that Peter speaks of, back in our text in 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 19, and so we have this prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed. But if that's the case, what is this word saying, this prophetic word that we need to heed? Well, let's back it up a little bit. I want to take you through three passages that we already covered on Wednesday, but I want to just read them to you and focus on them a little bit this morning. It says here, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, he says, grace And peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Do you understand how everything is multiplied grace and peace? But it's multiplied how? Through the knowledge, through the word that has been prophetically declared from the Old Testament to the New Testament that Jesus will come and Jesus has a plan. Now when you believe that word, the knowledge of Jesus that has been revealed in the scripture tells you what? So many more details than simply what Peter witnessed. Do you understand that Peter saw his glory? Peter heard the voice, but the prophetic word says so much more about Jesus Christ. The prophetic word says, you guys are all sinners, And the penalty of sin is death, but I've made a way that you could have eternal life. Do you understand how the prophetic word says so much more than Jesus is God? Because Jesus is God. He humbled himself, became a man. He served as a man. He he proved who he was through these miracles that were professed in the Old Testament over and over and over that he would come. And keep in mind that where the, the prophets would declare, they would say, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. But there was this confusion in his coming. Because some would say he's coming, he's coming, but he's going to suffer as a lamb. As a lamb led to the slaughter. He's not going to open his mouth and he's going to be wounded for our transgressions. I don't understand that, but, but I'm going to declare it because God said, speak this word. And others are coming and saying, oh, the king is coming. And oh my goodness, when he comes, be ready for the day of his wrath has come. Isn't that amazing how they all said he's coming, he's coming, but some said he's coming and he's going to suffer. Some said he's going to come and he's going to rule in power. Where, which one is it? The answer is what? Both. Near sense, future sense. And I think it's important what we see here is he says, all this has been given, verse 2, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, Lord. And verse 3 says, His divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Everything that we have... His divine power has given to us everything that we need for this life and to walk a godly life through what? Through the knowledge of him. Why? Because he died for me and I died with him. He rose again, the prophetic word would say, and what? And we would rise with him in the spiritual sense. Prophetic word fulfilled. And so we have this word that we begin to see. He says, everything has been given to you. That pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us. See, through the knowledge of the Lord, I'm calling you. I want you. I want you as my savior. I want you as my Lord. And this is what we begin to see is the key to all these things. And even in the the direction where he told us how to mature, how to mature in verse 5, he said, but all this for this very reason, given to all diligence, add to your faith, virtue and a virtue, knowledge, faith, virtue, knowledge. He said, I want you to increase in what is clearly scriptural. So it's a great thing to have faith. And it's a great thing to have this moral compass, this light to guide you, this spirit. But it has to be according to the word. You understand there's a lot of people that the spirit led me here, the spirit led me here. But it's in opposition of the word. So what I'm telling you is it's not the spirit of God who's leading you there. If the spirit of God is leading you there, you're going to find a word that will multiple times through the the, the process of the word confirmed that this is the spirit and that it's his leading to you. And so we see it's all about the knowledge of the Lord, the knowledge of the Lord. It's all about that knowledge that is going to help us grow in that acceptance of Jesus Christ. And in verse 80 says, for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You understand, it's all about knowing him. Again, it's about knowing him. Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. All these things, everything that has been spoken, um, you you think that you have life, but they, these scriptures, are they which testify of, of him. So what do we do when it comes to the prophetic word? Let's read verse 20 and 21 as we begin to sort of anchor in what prophecy is. He says in First Peter chapter one verse twenty and twenty-one, knowing this verse that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, I'm not going to be the only one with an answer. It's already been spoken. It's been spoken over and over and over again in the Old Testament. It's been spoken again in the Gospels. It's been spoken again in the book of Acts. It's been spoken again through the epistles. It's spoken. It's not of any private interpretation. If there's a person that takes one passage and takes it outside of the context of what it is in the rest of Scripture, you can make Scripture say anything, and they say, Oh, this is a private word that God gave to me, and I'm sharing it with you. Please make sure to donate as you leave. And what happens is, this is what's going on. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. God has revealed it to us. Now, guaranteed, there are some whose eyes are still blinded. They can't receive the work of Jesus Christ. Until they receive the work of Jesus Christ, the rest of the word is blinded to them. But once they open their eyes to the person of Jesus Christ, they open their hearts to him, then all of a sudden what? Everything else is illuminated. They now have the Holy Spirit in them, and the Holy Spirit is going to take the Word of God because He's the author of it, and He's going to give to us the clarity of it. In other words, I don't know if you've ever seen or did it when you were a kid, but you would make little code words. And so you would change the, the the make notes to one another, but you would have a special key. And the special key was like like... A is an M, or you just back it up from Z back and over, and you, you write these words, but you have a code, and unless you have the key, you can't read anything. And of course, they do that in war. They do that, all kinds of things, but it's about codes. Well, understand that there's a special key to scriptures, and that's the illumination of the Holy Spirit. If you do not have the Holy Spirit in you illuminating this word, it's just going to be words. It's not going to be life. To those who have received Christ, this word becomes life. But he makes this statement, verse 20, knowing this verse that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. So men aren't the one declaring these truths, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. God himself is going to impress upon these men to speak forth what God is declaring in their time, and sometimes it's going to be fulfilled in a very near sense, but other times this will be fulfilled later on. And I think it's important to realize that it's never men themselves speaking, but they are directed as it is that God speaks, and I think it's important. There's a passage I want to read it to you, found in 2 Timothy 3.16. You know it when I read it. It'll always be there. And so... I'm just going to read it. You'll know it when I give you the address. You might not know it, but as I read it, you will. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. No scripture is given by, by inspiration of man. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's the key. I want to give you three passages simply to verify, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how the Father speaks, the Son speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks, so you'll understand that God himself is not just God the Father or God the Spirit, but we do understand that all three persons of the Godhead speaks forth in the prophecy. Of course, the the, the spirit is the one who who gives these prophets that clarity on really what is going on within the, the situations. But in Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 25, jot it down. Let me read it to you. It says this, For I am the Lord, I speak, and the word which I speak will come to pass. It will No more be postponed, for in your days, O rebellious house, I will say the word and perform it, says the Lord God. And this is what he says. This word that I'm going to speak is going to come to pass. This is what the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh speaks. And so he said, I speak, and the word that I speak will come to pass. So we understand the Father speaks. Now, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, you've known it, we've studied it, but I'm going to read this to you again because it simply says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to our fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. See, in the latter days, he spoke to prophets. Now it's all done through Jesus Christ. He says, it's all spoken. Everything that needs to be done is done. I've spoken what needs to happen. And so we do understand that now the prophetic word comes through Jesus Christ. And as we understand that prophetic word comes through Jesus Christ, remember what his disciples they were confused they were concerned and so they asked him in matthew chapter 24 and i want to read to you just just the 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 one passage it says in verse 2 of matthew 24 jesus um said to them oh wait verse 3 that's where i'm at in verse 3 of matthew 24 now as he sat on the mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying Tell us, them asking Jesus, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of your age? Tell us about the prophetic events. So what does Jesus do? He says, let me tell you, Matthew 24, Matthew 25. He explains to them the questions, everything that they asked. And so understand that the Son also is that which speaks forth The things, and of course, we already saw here that all Scripture is God's breathe. But there's another passage in the Book of Acts, chapter twenty-one. I want to read to you verse eleven. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt. This is Abagus or Agabus. Um, He comes and he takes Paul's belt, and he bound his own waist and feet. And said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So here he says, here's a prophetic word that's going to happen in the near sense and the physical sense. Um, the person who owns this belt is going to be bound. In the same way, you're talking about what? Well, Paul's going to deal with near sense of suffering. Future sense? Yeah, God's already dealt with it. He won't suffer eternally because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so this is how prophecy itself is knit. Now, what I want to do in closing is this. I want to take you through the book of Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, there's a couple of chapters that focus heavily on the prophetic word. And so what I would like you to do is first open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah and back up to verse 30, chapter 34. Begin this Isaiah chapter 34, and I'm going to read verse 16 to you. And, and what happens in the verse 16, he simply is going to make the, the statement, and I, I love it. He says, just just search out the book and read, because th- there's not going to be one prophetic word that will lack a fulfillment. Now, let's read it how Isaiah speaks it. Isaiah 34, verse 16. Search from the book of the Lord and read. All right, we understand. Search, search the Bible. Search the book. In the volume of the book, it is written of him. But, but search from the book of the Lord and read. Not one of these shall fail. What is he saying? Not not one of the words will fail. He says this: not one of these shall fail, not one shall lack her mate. I love the prophetic idea of how he says. You have the prophetic word, and then you have the mate, the fulfillment. Isn't it amazing? I, I love how Isaiah portrays this. He says, Yeah, not, not one is gonna lack her mate. Everyone is gonna have its fulfillment. Not one of these shall fail, not one shall lack her mate, for my mouth has commanded it, and his spirit has gathered them. So we see here the fulfillment of what it's all going to take, where he says, I've commanded this all to be. The spirit is going to guide it into completion. This is my heart. This is what's going to happen. So I love how Isaiah opens up to say everything that God has spoken Every prophetic word will have its fulfillment. Now, there are some prophetic words dealing with the second coming of Christ that haven't been fulfilled yet, but I will guarantee you this. Every single one of them will be fulfilled. Why? Isaiah said, not one is going to lack her mate. It's going to be fulfilled. Now, in Isaiah chapter 41, I'm going to read to you verses um, 21 through 24. Keep it into context. But Isaiah chapter 41, beginning in verse 21, it says this. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. And let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Now he's talking to anything that wants to portray themselves as a God. He says this. Go ahead. Speak forth. I want you to, let's have a dialogue. Now, within this dialogue, this is what I want. I want you to speak forth and show us what will happen. Tell me what's going to happen in the future. He goes on to say, Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them, and know the latter end of them, and dec- or declare to us the things to come." Show the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing, and your works are nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. So I love what God says. In a sense, what he begins to say in chapter 41 is this it's a contest. You will know that there is a God by the prophetic word being fulfilled in its entirety, in its conclusion, with 100% accuracy. And what God is basically saying, listen, if any of my prophetic words doesn't come to pass, I'm not God. That's a bold statement to make. And that's why we said all the stones that were built upon Jesus Christ, they've been taken out and examined. This this can't be true, but it is. And then this can't be true, but it is. Every single word is found to be true. And I love that about God. It's been inspected. He says, go ahead and inspect anything. Because if you find a flaw in anything that I've said, if it doesn't come to pass, I'm not God. Now I'll tell you what, that's a bold statement. And that to me, Back in my early faith was what solidified, God, you are real. Because, of course, the prophecies that he would say would be hundreds of years and and thousands of years in in advance. And so you're looking about, wow, Lord, all the things that you've said have come to pass. Pinpoint accuracy. Now understand that, that when God gives a prophecy, it's not some generic form of prophecy. Think about it this way. Let's just say that I would say that in the year 2022, thus saith the Lord, there is going to be an earthquake in California. Now you say, duh, Lowell, there's always going to be an earthquake in California. That's not much of a prophecy. Now I can, I can fake it, I can do that. That's more thus saith the Lowell than thus saith the Lord. But if God was going to say, he would say this, there is going to be an earthquake in California on March 2nd, 2022, and the epicenter is going to be at Sunset and Vine. Now, what do you do with that? If there's an earthquake, not on March 2nd, but on March 3rd, I'm a false prophet. And God says, and I'm a liar. So God would say, I'm going to tell you these things to pinpoint accuracy. I'm going to name names. I'm going to call out Cyrus. I'm going to tell you when Jesus is going to actually show up there, walking to Jerusalem, which we call this Palm Sunday. He said, oh, if you'd only known this your day, that I'm coming presenting myself to you as king, that the Daniel said, you're going to be coming on this day. Amazingly, all these prophetic words are fulfilled to pinpoint accuracy, and everything else will be, but I love what God says and, and I love his heart. He says, listen, if, if, if you can tell the end from the beginning, then you're God. Pinpoint accuracy, you can't make one mistake. If you make one mistake, you're, you're, you're not a prophet. You, you just can't be. So, so think about this. When, when people who are in the cults, believe it or not, Joseph Smith, it's, 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 it's there, it's written, it's, it's data, it, it's, it's confirmable. He said the moon was made of cheese. Now, that would have been really cool, <laughs> especially for us in Wisconsin. Loaded. But it's not. They, they brought back moon rocks, not moon cheese. And if he was wrong on that, how could he be right in the rest of it? He, he's, he's a false prophet. When he said that the Lord would be coming back in, in, in 1917, he didn't. False prophet. And so you, you look to this. He says if you can predict 100% accurately, you can be a god. And if I don't predict 100% accurate, I'm not a God. Isn't this great how God nails who he is, the very verification of his person by the accuracy of the prophetic word? This is what God chooses to do. So in chapter 42 of Isaiah, verse 9, he makes this statement, and I, I love his heart. He says, listen, I've spoken. I'm going to say it again. Behold the former things. Have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Now, what he's saying is this the things that I've told you in the the events that transpired in the Old Testament, I told you something would happen, and it did. I told Abraham that his children would go to a land, and there they would be oppressed. And guess what? He said, they're going to be oppressed for about 400 years. And guess what? They were oppressed for 430. But he said, and afterwards, I'm going to bring them out. But when I bring them out, I'm going to bring them out with great possessions. And so when the children of Israel left Egypt, he says, oh, just go ask of your neighbor, gold, silver, jewelry, clothes. They'll give it to you. And guess what? The children of Israel, after the the 10th plague, they went and said, hey, can we have gold and silver and clothing? Yeah, have it. Lest I die too, take it. It was your wages for 430 years. You've earned it. Take it. Go. Please, just go. Go, go, go. But everything that God said was fulfilled. He says, now, if that wasn't fulfilled, he says, now, as all those things were fulfilled, you see them fulfilled, and we understand the first coming of Christ is fulfilled. He says, I'm going to say it again, and the rest will be just as fulfilled as what has already been. Do you understand what he's saying? Here in verse 9, behold, the former things have come to pass. What I've said before has been completed. The new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you them. So he says, as the older prophecies have been fulfilled, you can take that to the bank that these future prophecies will still be fulfilled. I love the heart of God. He goes on in chapter 43. I want to read verses 9 and 10 to you. But he makes this statement. Isaiah 43, verse 9 and 10, let all the nations be gathered together. And then he says this, let all the peoples be assembled who among them can declare this and show us former things. Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say it is the truth. You are my witnesses and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Now, as he comes to this point that says, every prophetic word that comes to pass will verify that I am God. And it also verify one more thing, that there isn't another God. That includes me, that includes you. We're not gods. He says, there's only one God. Now, if you think you're God, then, then all you have to do is just declare the future of what's going to happen. Now, it's amazingly, Shirley MacLaine would stand on the beach and says, I'm God, and says, we're gods. Well, tell me something that's going to happen in the future, other than there's going to be an earthquake in California the next year. We all know that. Tell us, pinpoint me. I want to know the day. I want to know the time. I want to know the minute. I want to know the location of the epicenter. You do that? Yeah, we got something going on now. But you can't. You only go generic. And this is what God says. You're my witnesses. And this is my servant. He's speaking forth my word. And, And I want you to know and believe me and understand that I am God. And besides me, there is not another God. So do you see what he's trying to do? He's trying to build, Isaiah's building this path of prophecy to saying, okay, you got to declare the future, and, and, and there's not going to be one prophecy that's not fulfilled, and as everything is coming fulfilled, you can say that I am, and, and understand, there's not another God that can do it besides me, and if there is, there's God, and there's not. And so there's only one God, not another God, and then he says this in Isaiah chapter 44, I'm going to read verses 6 through 8. He just tells them, you know, prove that you're like me. Look at verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and am the last. So here he says, the Lord and the Redeemer, the Father and the Son. Besides me, there is no God. So he says the Father and the Son, besides me... The singularity of the Father and the Son, there is no God. And understand, this is inspired by the Spirit. So you have this recognition. And who, verse 7, can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it, set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. He's going on to say, listen, you try to challenge me. If you're like me, go ahead, say the word. And and you need to be able to say, have you done this before? And you have to do it again. It's not just a one time and you're out. God says you have to continually speak forth a word that will verify that you are. This isn't a one-time thing. Oh, I said a prophetic word. It actually happened. Yay, me. That doesn't count. God is God. Now, sometimes he may give a vision. He may give a dream. He may give those things. And and that's God. That's how he chooses. Sometimes he's going to speak to men in visions and speak to men in dreams. Others, he's going to speak like Moses face to face intimately. Now I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 45 and look at verses 21 through 24. He makes his statement again speaking of prophecy and it says this, Isaiah chapter 45 beginning in verse 21, tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from the ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I, the Lord? He said, I, I'm the one who's always declared what's happened. No one else has ever said, this is what's going to happen. I've done it. And there is no other God besides me, a just God and a Savior. Now, noticing he's moving from just God to God and Savior. Do you understand how he's adding now this revelation of who he is as Isaiah is moving forth to God declaring these prophetic words? He said, there's none like me. Verse 22, look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. Now, that's a prophetic word. He doesn't say, look to your works, look to the law, look to anything. He says, just look to me. It's amazing that Jesus would say, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. And all I had to do was do what? Look at the serpent, and they would be saved. Not, not, not look with faith, or not look with this. If they had enough faith to look, they would be saved. And if you're like, I don't need to look, you're going to be doomed. But if you look doubting, guess what? You were still saved. If you were in the house that was sprinkled with the blood there in Egypt and you were fearing because you were the oldest, what if I die? What if I die? And your faith was lousy and you're panicking the whole night. Well, guess what? If there was blood on the door, I don't care how great your faith is. I don't care how little your faith is because it's not about your faith. It's about the blood that's been applied and you're in the house. That's enough faith. I love what God does. And now he begins to open up now about the Savior. He says, I'm a just God and Savior. At the end of verse 21, there is none like me. Look to me, verse 22, and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. I've sworn by myself. The word has gone out. My mouth is of the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. That to me... Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. You understand what God is saying? I'm dealing with the sin issue. Go ahead and declare it. Declare that the the, the sin issue has been dealt with. And God says, it's been dealt with not in your keeping the law. It's been dealt with in me. I'm the just God and Savior. Look to me and be saved. That's it. Just look to me. Not, Not look to me and do this. Just look to me. I love what God does as he begins this further revelation. And now I understand more of what Peter's saying. Oh, this is the sure word of prophecy. It speaks of you, your work, Jesus, that you would come. And I think it's so intriguing that what we see here is there's this incredible work that goes on. One last passage I want you to look at. Isaiah chapter 46. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. In other words, it's going to have its mate. Everything I say is going to be fulfilled. And I will do all my pleasure. Do you understand? Why is the prophecy going to be fulfilled with 100% accuracy? Because God says, I'm able to do it. No one else is able to do it. God says, I'm able to do it. I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird to pray from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will do it. I love what God begins to say through the prophetic word. I'm sovereign. And what I'm trying to tell you is this, that you can have salvation as you grasp onto and hold on to Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And so what Peter does in his text is this, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed is a light that shines in the dark place. Jesus said what? I'm the light of the world. And people don't want to come to this light because what? They love the darkness because their deeds are evil. They want to stay in the dark. But he is the light that shines in this world. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, he says, stick to this word, stick to this word, stick to this word until what? Until you're in heaven. Because heresy will come. But you've got to stand on what God has already declared. And and don't move from what he's declared, and especially what he's declared of the person and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Not only his first coming, but his second coming as well. We look to that. And this is why he says it's the more sure word of prophecy. Because you could see right now, Jesus could show up in his glory, be transfigured among us. So, he was a wow, I've seen it in the heavens, could say, Wow, this is my beloved son. That's all well and fine. But unless you had the prophetic word saying that that you have a sin nature that came through Adam. But don't worry. God said right there to Eve, I've made a way. There's going to be the one that comes through your seed. There's going to be this victory over the serpent. And this prophetic word would continue, continue pointing out that there would be this judgment at the end. And in this judgment, God says, all who are mine. All who are forgiven, through grace, all who want to come through the work that I will establish. I am the just God. I am the Savior. You come through through God's death, and you can come to me. You come through your own, or you come through another way. You can't come to me. Do you understand how the prophetic word adds so much more than simply seeing his glory? Now, one day, we'll all see his glory, but why? Because we believe the prophetic word. Everything else the scripture said about Jesus Christ is true. And that's what we're standing on. We're not just standing on, oh, until I see your glory, until I see and I hear the voice from heaven. No, I already know. I already know more about him than what Peter witnessed at that moment. Why? The prophetic word. And, and we're not following cunningly devised fables, eyewitnesses, and verification that God said this would happen before it happened and it did. He said this would happen before it happened and it did. And he does it again and again and again. And then he says, down the road, and this will happen. And just as all these other things have, so will this. And know this, Jesus is going to come again. And, and he's going to come and he's going to take us with him. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And, and yeah, there are strategic trends. There are crazy things that are happening in our world. But it's going to be a perfect time that he comes. And a perfect time that when it comes, there's going to be such tribulation the world had never known. And the enemy's going to be unleashed. And, and, and I'll tell you, if you think that the nation that we live in is bad, it's nothing. Nothing. I'm grateful for the nation that we have. Honestly, I, I am grateful for the leadership that we have. Because God has established it. Now, what happens if we had no leadership? Now, you can say, lol, you're completely wrong. The leadership is so corrupt. It's like it's less corrupt than anarchy. There's at the least semblance of laws. And there's some order that's going on. There are still court systems. Some are right. Some are wrong. But, you know, hey, there's still court systems. I'm grateful for what God has given us. And there's people who are, are saying, this is all wrong. This is all wrong. And I'm saying, God, to you be the glory. You've got a plan for us. And right now, my goal is to look at you and to keep you high and lifted up and to adore you and to worship you. And to know that I want to learn more about you. But the only way I'm going to learn that is through the word. I'm not going to learn through someone's prophetic idea of who Christ is or a new vision. I'm going to learn through the word. And this is why I think that, that God has blessed us by saying we will go through this word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book that we will understand and say, God, what have you declared of yourself? What have you declared of your son? And in that, we're going to grow. We're going to grow. We're going to mature. We're going to realize this promises for me and this promises for me and that promises for me. All the promises in you, Jesus, are yes and amen for us. And I can't wait to be with you eternally and have everything be fulfilled in that physical sense down the road, the completion of the prophecy that you have redeemed me, and I will be with you. To God be the glory for that, amen? Amen. Father, we are so grateful for this word and for your heart and how you speak and what you've done. We have this prophetic word confirmed. We have the more sure word of prophecy. God, we are so grateful that that we are not left orphans with no communication from you. You have communicated so much of who you are. Are there more things we don't know? Yes. Yes. But have we walked all the things that we know? No. (laughs) So, Lord, before we start asking you for more knowledge, um, we're asking for grace and the guidance to walk the things that we know. Teach us these things, Lord. Teach us your heart. Teach us how you move. Teach us to trust in you. Help us, Lord, to dive into this word and to see your son through the illumination of your Holy Spirit that we can worship. And become more and more and more in awe of who you are and how you work. Do these things, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said, amen.